Well, if you have your Bible today, uh, there, I'm going to give you one primary passage. We're going to Isaiah 6, okay? Isaiah 6. So you can, you can just take and open your Bible there. If you brought, if you brought Bible 1.0, if you brought Bible 2.0, that means your Bible glows at you, you know? Um, then you can, you can follow along. Uh, we put the messages on the Bible app. You can go to Calvary.online, click today's message. All the notes will be there, and you can follow along. I give you a lot of scriptures. Today, I want to speak to you a message called In His Presence. I do want to say that Pastor Luke and I did not get together about the song list, okay? We did not plan this. You're going to think we did, but we did not. It was the Holy Spirit organizing this. It's incredible what God does when you simply pray, seek his face, and listen to his voice, how he brings uh, such beautiful unity. And today, I want to speak to you a message about God's presence. I don't know if everybody, was anybody at First Wednesday? Glory to God. The presence, the manifest presence of God was incredible. Uh, We lingered here. We talked about the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And uh, while I'm not going to re-preach that sermon, you can go online on uh, on every platform. And by the way, if you have not Uh, uh, liked us on, let me get all of my terminology right, liked us on Facebook and turned on uh, whatever bell or notifications and then go to YouTube and then, you know, make sure that you you subscribe and turn on the notifications there. Uh, If you haven't connected with us on social media and on Instagram, we're also there. Um, If you haven't connected with us that way, shame on you, go ahead and do that. Uh, But all the messages are there. But I want to give you this one caveat from Wednesday. I'm here to announce that the oil of God's presence is available and he wants to anoint your life in a fresh way. He wants to touch your life. You see, we we call Jesus, Jesus Christ, but we don't know what Christ really means. Christ means the anointed one. And much in the same way that Christ was anointed, God wants to anoint you for this hour. Go and listen to that message. It's, It's an incredible. But out of that came a longing for me to share with you about the value of God's presence. The value of God's presence and the revelation that comes when we enter into God's presence. Let me just give you a few scriptures about God's presence. Psalm 1611, it says, you will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures evermore. Where can you find fullness of joy? I want to hear it. Where can you find it? In his presence. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Uh, Did the Bible get this wrong? I think it's supposed to say, at Walt Disney World, you can find... No, you ain't going to find it at all there. You're going to find angry dad spending way too much money. Like, here I am standing in this line. It's like I'm standing on the face of the sun. No. That's not where you're going to find fullness of joy. Fullness of joy is found in God's presence. And let me just announce to you, our world needs some joy. I don't know if you've noticed what we've been going through the last couple of years, but we need joy. And it won't be found in going back to normal. It doesn't say 
in normal is found fullness of joy. Normal will never bring you into fullness of joy. It's the presence of God, the manifest presence of God that brings the fullness of joy. I didn't know that there was a manifest presence of God. I didn't grow up in that kind of tradition. We didn't ever talk about that in the, in the church that I grew up in. We didn't have an awareness that God would. I, I knew the omnis, the omnis of God. You guys ever hear the omnis of God? He is omniscient, means he's what? All-knowing. He's omnipotent. Oh, man, you guys are amazing. He's all-powerful. <laughs> He's also omnipresent, right? Meaning that he is what? He is all places at once. However, you ever been some places where you're like, anything but God is here? Back to Walt Disney World, yes. I'm just kidding about that. But I'm not going. Um <laughs> And you've been in those places, but have you ever been in those places where God makes his presence known? And he makes it known in such a way, it brings you joy. It'll, it'll lead you into joy. It'll take you into that presence. See, some of us think, you know, hey, we're in Florida. All we do is we need a little vacation from the sun, right? Right? We need a little vacation from the sun. So what do we do? We usually pack up in the summertime and we go to the mountains. And all the people in the mountains say, I'm so tired of the mountains, I'm coming to the beach. And the people from the mountains say, why are you leaving the beach? And we're like, we don't even go to the beach. <laughs> we're like, hey, man, I, I just need to take a vacation. And get a, get a, get, be refreshed. Now, there, there is something about unplugging from work and, 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 and getting some refreshing. But can I tell you that in the very first message ever spoken after the Holy Spirit was poured out, you actually begin to understand where real refreshing comes from? Acts 3.19 says, Repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. So anybody ever go on vacation and think on the last day, man, I need a vacation for my vacation. It's because vacation doesn't bring refreshing. God's presence on vacation brings refreshing. If you decide, I'm going to take and include God, God loves to do stuff. He'll go white water rafting with you. He'll go razor riding. He'll go all kinds of stuff. He will not go bungee jumping because that's stupid. No, he ain't going skydiving either. <laughs> well, not with me. He's not in mind with you. But there was this moment where... Where a man named Isaiah had an encounter with God in his presence. And I want to give you the revelation that comes when you really come into his presence. And I hope that every one of us today will leave this place 
with a higher value system for his presence, and a higher priority for making space for his presence in our life. Isaiah 6 begins this way, and it says, In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated, uh, sitting on the throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple, and above it stood Zeraphim. Each one had six wings, two he covered his face, two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And the one cried to another, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. I want, I, we're going to walk through Isaiah 6, and I'm going to walk you through three revelations that, that, that typically come from having an encounter with God in his presence. First, you need to, uh, wait, you better strap on your big boy pants, okay? Here we go. These points today are really deep. We use big words, okay? I actually told Pastor Carl, you could probably use all of these points today in Calvary Kids, seriously. But I want you to understand that this is what the presence of God will do. First revelation you get in the presence of God is this. God is big. God is big. Notice what he says. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. It is very significant, the timing of this encounter in God's presence. It's in the year that King Uzziah died. King Uzziah was a king for 52 years. Uh, that is, that is a, a, a lengthy reign for a king. It, it speaks to how well he was ruling for a time. But in many of the kings, a lot of them start well but don't end well. But Uzziah, in the beginning of his reign, was so strong, he kept the Assyrians, this massive army at bay, because of his devotion to the Lord. He's devoted to the Lord, and then we find this king Uzziah, in 2 Chronicles 26, 14, he was a powerful king used to protect the people of God. It says, then Uzziah prepared for them uh, for the entire army, shields, spears, helmets, body armor, bows, slings to cast stones. And he made devices in Jerusalem invented by skillful men to be on the towers and on the corners to shoot arrows and large stones. So his fame spread far and wide for he was, listen to these words, for he was marvelously helped till he became strong. So here's what we see about Uzziah. Uzziah uh, is instrumental even in this day of, of taking, protecting the people of God to the next level. To the point where they even begin to use catapults. And according to the scripture, skillful men in Israel developed this, this protection. So here they are and there's all this protection going on. And it says this, till Uzziah became strong. And what happened when he saw the blessing of God? For a moment he decided... Well, we're blessed because of me. And then Uzziah steps out of his lane, goes into the temple, and begins to uh, offer an offering to the Lord. 
And the priests come in and they say, Uzziah, you should not be doing that. It is only for a priest to be doing that. And his basic response is this. I'm the king. I'm the one, I'm the one that's brought strength to this nation. I can do what I want to. And the priest said, no, you can't. And leprosy fell on him that day. Broke out in leprosy, and he spends the last part of his reign in isolation, and because of the leprosy, could never go back into the presence of God. Now, even with all of those failures, he's held the enemy at bay. And now Isaiah, this primary voice, this man that God is using, is saying, in this time, when we were all asking God, what are we going to do now? The Assyrians are at the door. What are we going to do now? It seems like this whole thing is falling apart. We had a strong king, and now he's dead. He's dead. And it's in this moment. Isaiah enters God's presence. Oh, and he sees a greater king. He says, I just watched a king fall from his throne. He goes into God's presence and he sees a greater king sitting on a throne. And he's high and lifted up. And I love this. And the train of his robe fills the temple. The train of his robe, the, the length of the train of a robe of a king would be directly associated with the numbers of victories that he had won as a king. So when Isaiah came into the presence of God, he suddenly saw Uzziah as a small king and God as the great king who has never lost a battle. He's never lost a battle. And you and I need to come into the presence of God because we need a proper view of who he is. Let me tell you, it doesn't matter who falls off the throne on this planet. There is one seated on a throne who will never be deposed. He will never be taken down. And he is not ever going to be voted out. He is high and lifted up and he's defeated every enemy. Now, you say, well, that's, that's good for Isaiah that he had this encounter where he had a revelation of how big God is. I want to actually suggest to you that there is a place where you can have a similar encounter where you see God for who he is. And they meet at 8 9.45 and 11.30 on Sunday morning. It's called the gathering of the saints. It's the church. You say, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You see, when we come into this place and begin to worship, God begins to make his presence known. Well, I know, I know some of you. You know, um, you don't come for the singing. You're like, 
I'm a word man. I'm a word woman. So I don't come for the singing. I just come for the word. I'm just going to tell you, God comes for the worship. And I'm telling you, as much as I study, as much as I read, as much as I try, God has never sat on the front row taking notes going, wow, Pastor Otis, I never thought of that. <laughs> God, God's like, oh, yeah, I really need that in my life. No, we need to come and say, oh, God, I need to get into your presence. I need to come in this place and lift up a song and say, you are holy and you are worthy. I give you my worship. I adore you. And it's in those places that suddenly when things have failed and gone wrong all around you, you see them for how small they are compared to how great he is. I love this. In the very beginning of the church, we heard the story last week of how a lame man was healed. And that caused a lot of problems for, for Peter and John. They got intensely persecuted by the ruling religious authority. And after this intense persecution and they finally let them go, notice what they do. They go back to their own company in Acts 4. And what did they do when they got back around their people? Did they just come in the door and say, man, it's been a hard day. Y'all got, what's in the crock pot? <laughs> um, you know, hey, or, 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 I, I know it's, it's been a rough start, so maybe we should go shopping tomorrow. Mm -mm. when they were going through a very tough moment, much like Isaiah, they come and they come back into their own company. And what do they do? They begin to worship and pray. And I want to show you what happens when a people will gather and worship and pray. Look, Acts 4, 29 says, Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants with all boldness that they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they had assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. When you are worshiping and praying and seeking God with other brothers and sisters, God will show up. But I am going to say this to you in the most loving and kind way. Everybody who decided to go fishing during the prayer meeting missed God shaking the building because that anointing was reserved for the gathering of the saints. And I also would suggest while I love our broadcast, and it's for people who are shut in and traveling, and we minister to people across the United States, that, th that watching online is not a replacement for gathering with other brothers and sisters in Christ. 
I'm telling you, there is a grace and a presence and an anointing where you come together with brothers and sisters and suddenly the tough atmosphere of the culture becomes small because you worship and God comes and shakes those things that are trying to hold you. It matters. It matters. Matter of fact, Hebrews says, all the more as you see the day, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, even all the more as you see the day approaching. Like maybe I'll go to church once a month. Maybe most of the month you will miss what God wants to do in your life because you miss what he reserves for the gathering of the saints. And that happens. Listen, you can have presence in your prayer closet. I want you to. But there is something God reserves for when we gather. In Acts 4, they left. All of them did, knowing God's big. The whole building just shook when we prayed. God's big. I believe we can leave that way Sunday after Sunday, first Wednesdays. I believe our children can leave Calvary kids going, God is big. That our students can leave their services going, God is big. God is big. And there has to be in this hour a generation who knows God is bigger than what they're facing. But what follows on the heels of this in Isaiah chapter 6 is the second revelation. We are small By the way, not insignificant. I know a lot of people are are sensitive, you know, to, you know, hearing certain things like this. I I, I couldn't say that about myself because I'm I'm so sensitive. No, no, no. No, you're not insignificant because if you were insignificant, he would have never died and paid the price for your life. Jesus would have never paid the price for something insignificant. No, you are significant, but we are small in comparison to him. Isaiah 6, 5, this is what Isaiah says. Woe is me for I am undone because I'm a man of unclean lips and I I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. He said, I have just seen a king that commands the armies of heaven, and he is so much more than I am. He's so much more than I have described. Remember, this is Isaiah. He's the primary voice of God to the nation. And when he has an encounter with God, he says what first? Woe is me. He doesn't say, man, I wish somebody else was here worshiping today. They really could use this. Could be that you're too worried about the prodigal while your own heart is drifting. Isaiah was not concerned about Israel in that moment. He was only concerned about what I have said about this God that I see has has far, it's fallen so far below actually who he is. And it's so far below, I see it as sin missing the mark. Another way of saying that God is big, and we're small is just how they said it in Isaiah, that he is holy, and we're sinful, that we miss it. 
We've got to get comfortable with this church that we need to understand that, that we have not arrived. You come into God's presence and you realize, I, I, he's holy. The only attribute in all the Bible that is repeated three times in a row, there are many attributes of God described, many names of God uh, uh, all throughout the scriptures. The only one repeated three times is holy, holy, holy. In Isaiah 6 in Revelation chapter 4. It never says love, 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 even though God is love. It never says kind, 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 even though God is kind. It says holy, holy, holy. And what does, what, what does holy mean? It, it, simply, it just means uh, totally set apart, pure. Another definition is totally other than, totally different than anything you've ever experienced. He is holy, and he is totally set apart from sin. And notice what they're doing in Revelation 4. It says, the four living creatures, each having six wings full of eyes around and within, they do not rest day or night, saying, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Listen, not only is he holy, there is much of, 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 of his own description and kingdom that is holy. Let me give you some examples. His name is holy. His power is holy. All of these are listed in scripture. His temple is holy. His spirit is holy. His covenant is holy. His city, Jerusalem, is holy. His tithe is holy. His words are holy. His promises are holy. His prophets are holy. And by the blood of Jesus, his people are are holy. See, we all need moments in God's presence where we see we still need God. I know, I know most of you in this service, if you have a family, and you drove to church together. You came in knowing, man, I need God. Let me tell you, there's warfare trying to keep you out of God's presence. So you realize how big he is and how much we're in need of him. How do I know? You argued all the way to church. If you, have, if you have children, you beat the ones on the third row on the way in. When they greeted you at the door and say, hey, how you doing today? You're like, praise the Lord, brother. <laughs> and you're walking around like everything is just fine. We know you need God. We know the warfare is real. Here's how. Because when we start offering God worship, you're so aware of the failures you just experienced on just trying to get to God's house that you can't even lift your voice to sing. You can't even give expression to, of, of how you should be loving on God because you're just so aware of, of, of how 
how falling you are. Let me just tell you, that's a good problem to have. Because there was a moment when Jesus healed a blind man in John uh, chapter 9. And when he healed this blind man, the Pharisees, they, they just kept asking him, how did he heal you? How did he heal you? He said, I've told you again and again how he healed me. Do you too want to be his disciples? And they said, that's it. You're excommunicated. Stay out of the, the temple. Stay out of worship. Stay out. And Jesus goes and finds him. Finds him after he's been tossed out. Why? Why did they toss him out? Because he made a miraculous conclusion. They said, they said Jesus is a sinner. He says, you guys, you know God doesn't listen to sinners' prayers, but he listened to his because my eyes are open. He says, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know, but all I know is I was blind and now I see. And God doesn't hear the prayers of those who are steeped in sin. And then here's what the Pharisees said. You are steeped in sin from birth. And they throw him out. Jesus comes to find him. And these Pharisees were always kind of trekking around the shadows. And in John 9, notice what he says. To the blind man who had just opened his eyes, he says, For judgment I have come into the world that those who do not see may see. And that those who see may be made blind. Verse 40, then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said, are we blind also? Let me say it to you this way. Are we the ones steeped in sin, stuck in sin? And this is what he says. Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say we see, therefore your sin remains. He says, because you say you really don't need anything from God, your sin remains. That's what he was saying. He's saying, Pharisees, the reason why you will say, stay stuck right where you are isn't because you don't realize God is big. It's because you refuse to see that there is anything in your life that God might want to address. So if you come into this place and you're feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit going, oh God, I shouldn't have said that. Oh God, I shouldn't have handled that that way. I shouldn't have watched that. I shouldn't have eaten that third chicken sandwich. God! If you come in with that kind of conviction on your life, that's a good thing. Because if you were walking around like, no, I'm good. God said, your sin would remain because you don't really see what you have need of. God is big. We're small. Which leads us to this third revelation that comes from his presence. That God is good. Watch and follow what happens next. When Isaiah cries out, he says, I know I'm supposed to be the guy. I know I'm the one that is supposed to be the voice for you. But I'm a man of unclean lips and everybody around me is saying things the wrong way. He makes this confession in the presence of the Lord. Notice what happens. Isaiah 6.6, 6, it says, then one of the Zeraphim flew to me. 
having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin is purged. This is a picture of salvation, but it also happens all the time in the life of believers. It's a picture of salvation. Why? Because when you begin to repent and when you begin to see your need of God, suddenly, instead of you moving and you having to deal with your sin, suddenly when you repent and your heart is made soft before the Lord, what happens? God goes into motion and he takes the fiery suffering of Christ on the cross and applies it to the very area where you feel the most need. God moves on our behalf. Why? Because he's good. He's good. Listen, listen to the words that are said. He says, it's touched your lips, these two statements. Your iniquity is taken away. In the presence of God, when you see him for who he is and you realize your need and now God begins to move in his goodness in your life, your iniquity is taken away. I don't know if you read the Bible like me, but I'm like, where did he take it? Where did it go? One of my favorite Psalms, Psalm 103, and in verse 12 Listen to this, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions. from. Where did he take it? As far as the east is from the west. When God begins to move in his goodness and his grace and his mercy, when we see him for who he is and we see our need of him and begin to repent, then what does he do? He removes the transgressions. Stop acting like he didn't. Don't live like he didn't remove it. Live with a humility that says, God, if anything shows up, I'll let you remove that too. He says, our iniquity is taken away. And then this last statement, this is powerful. He says, your sin is purged. Now, this word purge is very interesting. It's, it's translated just a handful of times, purged, okay? It's, it's kind of an application of this word, which is actually translated over a hundred times a different word, which you may have heard in, in, in different, you know, maybe sermons or, you know, you, you might have heard it in church. The word is atonement. Your sins have been atoned for. So in this, he says, your sin has been atoned for. If you don't know what uh, atonement means, I'll break it down. You just divide the word uh, out. At, one, meant means with. So your sins are removed and God makes you one with him. When his goodness and mercy and grace come and move and touch your life, he makes you 
one atonement. How did he do that? Well, Leviticus 17.11 tells us, for the life of the, the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement for your soul. Listen, the blood of Jesus is what makes possible oneness with God. It makes it possible. But all of this revelation comes in his presence. It doesn't come because you just ascend to it mentally through theological exercise. It happens in his presence. And matter of fact, it happens over and over. You see how big God is. You're like, oh, God. Oh, God, would you please forgive me of that? I don't want to ever do that again. And the presence of God comes and lifts you. And you see his goodness. And he washes you and cleanses you and carries you. That is what our worship services are all about. That is why you would come here and lift a song to the Lord. That is why you would say in his presence is fullness of joy. Because I saw him for who he is. And I know who I am. And despite who I am, he came to me. And he moved in my life when I repented, when I turned from sin, when I said, God, I don't want that anymore. His goodness came, washed, and made me one with him. I want to finish with one verse and then one statement. Isaiah 118, this is what it looks like to come into God's presence when you recognize, hey, there's some things going on. I've got some sin. By the way, we all do. Your sin is not a problem to God. Listen to me. He's already paid for it. There's, he, he's not scratching his head going, oh no, what am I going to do? Here's the problem. Unrepentant sin is not his problem, it's ours. That sin which we cling to and hold on to and we say, God, we don't want to give you access. If you, if you hold on to it, church, listen to me, it'll lead to death in some way. Because the wages of sin, the payment for sin is death. Something will die. You, you won't be as aware of God's presence. It's not that God leaves you. It's, it's we become numb to who he is. It's what sin does. But notice what God says in Isaiah 1. He says, come now. Come to my presence. Let us reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they're red like crimson, they'll be like wool. Come. On Friday night, going into Saturday morning, I had a dream, and I saw many of your faces. At Calvary, um, it, it was an amazing time in God's presence. I saw people worshiping, and, and there, was, there was literally, it, it had to be, I don't know, a couple of thousand people. But I saw many of your faces in this dream. And what happened is, is God's presence came so strongly in the dream. 
that there were those who were in the building, but their hearts were somewhere else, I saw a massive response to the presence of God. I saw so many people who had just been kind of existing in lukewarm living for the Lord, suddenly begin to ignite. I saw our staff, that, that there was so much response to who God is in the dream. It was like our staff members, it was like we were going to groups of people. We couldn't handle it. It was one, wasn't one man's job. We were, all, we were all like ministering to all these people. And there was such a massive response to who God was and a massive move of a cleansing of God because we we suddenly had entered into a presence where we realized that negotiating with God and keeping sin as a pet in our lives could no longer be a thing that we do. And I saw it. And when this time of repentance hit, church, I got to tell you, in my dream, the whole church erupted in joy. The whole place was erupting. With this, this sense of, this is what I've been waiting for. God's presence. Knowing I'm cleansed and washed by the blood of the Lamb, that I'm free. And I saw God multiply it. There was another level and another level and another level. Church, right now, you're the seed of this. God gave me, let me just tell you, when you awake from a dream like that, I woke up from a dream like that uh, Saturday morning, and I'm like, oh, God, thank you. I want to tell you, in my preparation for this message, I had been reading and listening to stories of how when God's presence would come into congregations and begin to manifest, people would get up from their seats, not even in the altar, time and would run to the altar and respond and I want to tell you something church that happened in first service today I know we're in a moment where God says I'm, I'm pouring my spirit out on you I'm going to let you see me for who I am will you allow me to do in your life what I've been longing to do will you let my goodness come and purge you cleanse you wash you and make you clean Oh, why is it? Why is it that God wants to do it? Because just in one more, vo one more verse, Isaiah hears something else being said in heaven he didn't hear before he was cleansed. And it was this, who will go for us? Who will go for us? And Isaiah, who just a moment before Felt like, God, there's no way you could use me. Answers God and says, here I am, send me. Church, I believe God has sent his presence here today. First, for those who don't know him. For those who have no relationship with God, I'm here to tell you, he's got his arms extended to you. You need to know how big he is. You need to know that we all need him. And you need to know that he's good and that he has already moved 
to pay the price for your sin and you must only repent and believe and you will be born again. Your life will be made new. But there's some of you who stopped that process when you invited Jesus into your life and you need to come get back in the presence of God and deal with the compromise and deal with those things that God's been telling you. Stop letting that go. Stop letting that go. Let me put my hand on that. Let me change that. Let me bring bring some change. That happens in God's manifested presence.